0: I'm Daniel Levine, and this is RareCast. Edgar Klein's family can trace its involvement with a rare genetic disease back to the 1700s. In fact, Hagerstown, Maryland, where his family settled, has a higher incidence of hereditary ATTR amyloidosis because of this common ancestor some in the town share. The disease, which begins to manifest itself in middle age, can cause damage to the heart, nerves, and various organs. We spoke to Klein about the disease, the difficulty in getting an accurate diagnosis, and why he's trying to raise awareness about it. Edgar, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Danny. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: We're going to talk about a a rare genetic condition known as hereditary ATTR amyloidosis, your family's long history with the disease and its prevalence in the town where your family settled. Let's start with the disease itself. What is hereditary ATTR amyloidosis?
1: It's a genetic disorder that uh, we understand is pretty rare. It's a protein misfolding disorder. In our case, the liver puts out uh, more proteins than the body can dissolve, faster than the body can dissolve them, and then they misfold into amyloid fibrils, which then deposit on organs and on the autonomic nervous system. Occasionally, there's GI involvement. Um, it, it, for the uh, for the uh, nervous system uh, and out into the neuropathy, uh, you can get numbness that starts in some cases in the feet, in some second cases with the hands, and progresses over time. Uh, one uncle uh, became completely immobile from the, the neuropathy; couldn't move. Um, and uh, you can get cardiomyopathy when it deposits in the heart. That's one of the main organs that it seems to affect in our family line. And that can lead to
0: death. The looking at the family line, it seems like this is a, a fairly late onset disease. We, you know, normally think of genetic diseases affecting people in childhood. What is the progression of the disease? What's what's the prognosis for people who, who have it? Uh,
1: the progression, typically, you're right, is late onset. And in most of my dad's siblings, which is you know the, the data that I can share with you, uh, the onset was. At or around the age of 60 plus, uh, when they first noted, noticed the symptoms coming on. And generally the symptoms were the, uh, loss of feeling in the tips of the fingers or in the feet and then progressing as time goes on. Um, we, my one uncle did begin, uh, noticing those symptoms at the age of 55 and he had to have a liver transplant. Um, and then, uh, we go back further in time, uh, to, the, the 70s, 80s, um, there was a cousin of my father's who uh, onset was much earlier, and he died from the disease at the age of 39. So it was a rare case that he got onset early. That was not typical. Uh, I'm I'm 50 years old, and I've actually had a uh, diagnosis that I've got it in the tips of my fingers at this point.
0: And are there therapies available today?
1: Uh, there are some uh, drug therapies available uh, depending on where the involvement is. For example, with me, there's a drug therapy that's available. It's kind of like a preventative agent, whereas with my father, he's got cardiomyopathy along with the neuropathy, and there's no FDA-approved uh, treatment available at this point in time. There are some drug trials, but no FDA-approved treatments available at this time for okay. him.
0: And in your case, uh, and I take it you're, you're actually using a, an RA drug off-label, is that correct?
1: Um, can you repeat the question?
0: Sure. In, in your case, you're using a drug that was developed to treat rheumatoid arthritis, is that correct?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: What's the connection between Hagerstown, Maryland, your, your family, and this disease?
1: Well, I, I believe you know we traced some ancestry uh, independently with uh, with family members back to the late 1700s to a gentleman by the name of Peter Bernard Grossnickel, who immigrated from Germany. Um, there are some science papers that were written in the 60s that also traced uh, to the disease our variant. Well, of, of course, it wouldn't have been known as the variant at that time, but they traced amyloidosis. Uh, back to the late 1700s, to the same person.
0: And, and does this suggest that people with the disease in Hagerstown are, are likely to be related?
1: Oh, yeah. We have a local support group that has been meeting monthly since 1996. Um, and, uh, you know, regularly, there are probably anywhere from 10 to 20 people that attend it regularly on a monthly basis. But we have many, many more folks that are members of the group, and uh, that we're all related. You know, if, if someone comes to our group from outside of the area, uh, we actually have one that travels an hour and a half to get They, their you know, family. We've come to know that they have the same mutation we do. And, and how, how
0: are you able to trace back a, a disease to the 1700s at least?
1: My understanding, and I'm not a, a genetic researcher or a family history researcher, but my understanding from the family member who has passed, who did the research uh, and took it back that far, he he was able to find, you know, you read descriptions of people you know, when you do these ancestry things. And, and so there are descriptions and you might have um, anecdotal stories about uh, numbness or something like that. And that's how he was able to trace it back with extensive and exhaustive research into that area. Now he had the liver transplant as well. His name was Winston Herbs, uh, but he did not die from the disease. In fact, uh, he was doing really well after his liver transplant. But he got uh, pancreatic cancer, totally unrelated as far as we know. And uh, he found out when he had stage four pancreatic cancer, and he didn't live very long. So um, we don't have we don't have any more of his data. His computer crashed, unfortunately.
0: I understand your your dad had symptoms for many years before he was actually diagnosed correctly. How difficult a disease is this to diagnose, and is it often misdiagnosed or recognized as something else?
1: I think it is often misdiagnosed. In the case of my dad, I think because he worked on concrete his entire life, standing up, um, he thought that burning and, and the sensations that he got in his feet because it seemed to get to his feet first, uh, he kind of attributed it to his work. Now, even after I was diagnosed in O2, uh, quite by accident, my uh, uh, PCP had uh, ran some reg- regular old blood tests and uh, it mentioned to me that a liver count was high, and I had spoke to my father, and he said, well, you should talk to our cousin uh, who sh- who's going through the liver transplant now. Maybe you should uh, send your blood away. And I did, and it came back. So he knew he had to be the carrier at that point, but um, he, he just kind of felt like, well, if it's just this little bit of burning uh, and at the age that I am, I'm doing better than most of my family members. In his mind, you know, we'll, we'll just take it one day at a time and because he didn't want to go through a liver transplant. That's something he didn't want. And at that time, there were no drugs available. There were no treatments available other than a liver transplant.
0: And is there a test used to diagnose the disease?
1: Now, there, there are genetic tests available. There, there are all sorts of tests. There, there's something called a fat pad biopsy. There are genetic tests. I believe that there are some other tests in development. Um, I believe there's a saliva test that's available. So there are, there are numerous tests. And If I also understand right, um, Alnylam Act uh, is a service that's going to be offered by Alnylam to uh, provide uh, the free genetic testing. And they're also going to provide follow-up counseling as well.
0: And and I I take it there's a real danger in misdiagnosing this disease and and treating a patient for something other than this disease because it can actually worsen the condition?
1: Yeah. Let let me elaborate on that. Uh, Dad's brother, Gary Klein, he was uh, suspecting in 2005 at the age of 55 that he was, uh, that he had the amyloidosis because he had started to have the symptoms of neuropathy. Um, so he went to a neurologist and three times over a period of almost two years, he saw a neurologist who three times tested him and said, uh, we think you've got neuropathy brought on by MS. And finally in, uh, 2007, in, in, uh, like January, he got his positive diagnosis for familial. Uh, hereditary TTR amyloidosis and um, then he had to go through additional tests because again at that time there was only uh, there was a drug trial going on uh, an early one of the early drug trials and uh, I think he enrolled in that but he didn't know if he was getting a placebo or a real drug and so he opted to also get on a liver transplant list and he had to it took nine months to get on the list so we had two years of misdiagnosis Nine months of waiting to get on a liver transplant list. We're on, we're on a, um, a drug trial, but we don't know if we're getting placebo. He's getting worse. And then after he got on the liver transplant list in September of '07, it took 20 more months into uh, 2009 before he got his liver transplant. Um, so uh, there was a period of time along the way that he was actually released from the study and he was put on to uh, the the same treatment that I'm on today uh, that you mentioned. And um, he's still on it even after the liver transplant uh, at the advice of the liver transplant doctor. So, yeah, he lost valuable time, much valuable time in the misdiagnosis.
0: Well, uh, What is the treatment you're on today?
1: Um, Duflunasol is what I'm on today.
0: And, And what does that drug do?
1: it's an anti-inflammatory really. And like you said, it was used to treat rheumatoid arthritis and it should slow progression down. Uh, That's my understanding. It doesn't stop it. It doesn't cure it. It just slows progression down.
0: In terms of the drug pipeline, I know there was a a recent disappointment uh, that Alnylam had with a a mid-stage candidate that had safety concerns that they stopped development of, but they do have a late stage drug in development. Is, Is that something that's giving your community hope?
1: I know that there is an expanded access trial for one of the treatments that alnylam has developed. It looks promising, and there are a few folks in our group that have expressed interest in it, and um, I believe they're going to be talking. Uh, Johns Hopkins participates locally uh, with the expanded access. A few of the folks there are going to be talking to Johns Hopkins and to seeing whether they're eligible for that expanded access program or not.
0: In the case of this disease, it's the problem with overexpressing a protein. Is, does this drug mute the production of that protein?
1: It uh, what it, yeah, it reduces the level of the protein produced, my understanding, this, this particular trial. So it, it reduces TTR levels to about 20%. And,
0: and are there other drugs in the pipeline that, that you're watching or giving you hope?
1: My understanding, uh, and i just learned this this past week uh, from the folks at Al-Nilum, um that there are some other drugs in the pipeline that uh, give me hope for example, I can't go on this trial because I don't have enough involvement in the neuropathy, but there may be something coming along that would uh, be something that would be a candidate more for me to to stop it before it gets started, so to speak so there are some things in the pipeline, and that gives me hope and hope for my you know children and grandchildren as well
0: and, and- You work to raise awareness for the disease. Do you do that in Hagerstown? Do you do that more broadly?
1: Um, I helped uh, form. I did not help form the Hagerstown group. It formed in 1996 before I became aware of it. But I do uh, go to those meetings as often as I can. I share all the information I have. Um, I also helped form... Uh, a support group in the Baltimore, DC area in two thousand two, when I was first diagnosed, two thousand two to two thousand four in that time frame, and I actually uh, was probably kind of like the uh, the MC of the of the uh, annual event that uh, is held in that in that region for the first two meetings, and then there were some other folks that took that over. Um, I have a business that I run, and it keeps me extremely busy, uh, and my kids were getting into college and into high school, and and uh, so it, it it became a little bit of a burden at that time for me to to be extremely active. But re- more recently, with my dad's cardiac involvement and things uh, that he's been experiencing, we both, my dad and I, both have been getting very involved in trying to uh, continue to spread awareness locally in Hagerstown to answer that question. But uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to spread out a little bit more, as you know. For you and I have having this conversation here, I've asked the folks at Alnylam to help me try to, to reach out and spread awareness any which way that I can.
0: And why is that important?
1: Well, I think to raise awareness of rare diseases uh, in general, right? And then in particular, our disease, uh, you know, hereditary ATTR amyloidosis, because regardless of the variant of, of that, of HATTR amyloidosis, the, the treatment uh, isn't per per variant, it's per the whole gamut of, of the variants. And so, you know, if we can if we can get the word out there that things are going on, there's research, there's treatment, there's hope. Uh folks have more knowledge about what's going on. They can manage their choices better. Knowledge is always power when it comes down to this kind of thing. And so we want to make sure folks have I, I grew up in a scientific community in my career all of my life. And so for me this is this is just a natural thing for me to to get out there and get the word out.
0: Edgar Klein, Jr., hereditary ATTR amyloidosis patient advocate. Edgar, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thank you. I appreciate, again, the time for the interview.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org.